This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, January 22nd, 2017 at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Andrew Pack, Executive Director of Three Strand Network. More information about Three Strand Network can be found at threestrand.org. More information about Restoration Road Church can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Hi, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the Executive Director of Three Strand, which is the church network that your church is a part of, and I also serve on a staff down in Kenmore at a fellow Three Strand Church. Uh, it is my honor and my privilege to be with you today to open God's Word and to hear what God says to us through it. Uh, so if you go with me to Luke chapter 19, we'll be in 19, 1 through 10. Uh, I will pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. We are opening your Word, anticipating that your Spirit is going to speak to us about you through it. We thank you for this assembly. We thank you for this gathering. We come to respond to the truth that you save sinners from death to life. We thank you for um, the work you're doing in this church. Uh, pray you'd comfort those who are mourning now. Pray you'd bless the mission team on their way home. And pray you would do things in Chile through what they've done and through what your people are doing there to save Likewise, I pray for Snohomish, Lord. We desperately want our neighbors to know you. We desperately want people to know your love and your grace and your mercy. We need you. They need you. And we just confess that now. And so, Jesus, please send your spirit to us now. Open our eyes to the truth. Lead us and guide us. I just pray for me, Lord. Whatever's just of me, may it be forgotten. But the things that are of you, the things that bring you glory, the, the things that are pleasing to you, may those just echo out into our lives, not because I'm clever, but because your word and your spirit are amazing. So Jesus, be with us now. Lead us. I pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so as mentioned before, my name is Andrew Pack. I'm from Washington. I'm a true blue Washingtonian. Uh, there aren't as many of us as there used to be. Uh, and if you're not one of us, that, that's okay. You can be here. Uh, I grew up in Whatcom County. The furthest I ever lived from the city of Bellingham was a nine-month stint I did at like 18 in Olympia. Uh, when you grow up in Bellingham, just as a little bit of background, uh, if you're from Whatcom County, you're usually one part hippie, one part hick, and one part punk rocker, which means it's not odd to see a guy blasting the clash in his truck with face tattoos shooting deer. That is what we do, and that's how we roll. That's what I came out of. Now, I grew up, maybe like many of you, as a true blue Washingtonian, hyper-spiritual, far from the Lord. Some Gideons gave me a Bible at Bellingham High School at 16 years old, which I put on a shelf with, with the, all my other spiritual writings and readings and Tibetan Book of the Dead and all these different things. And in God's grace and mercy, in my early 20s, I took that thing down and started reading it. And in Matthew chapter 5, the Lord saved me for myself and from my sin and to a life in Him. Now, in that time, I, I began to hang out with y'all, right? Christian folk. And, and here's what I experienced. I experienced two things that, that I didn't quite, didn't quite reconcile with what I was reading in the Gospels. I saw people who said, okay, great, you're saved. Now let's get to work. Here are the things you must start doing uh, so that you can grow and mature. But the, the thing is that it lacked the sense of why I was doing it. It was work to do. Or, on the other side of that, just apathy. Well, we'll never really be that godly. 
Everyone's a sinner for goodness sakes. Uh, why, why get after it? Well, you know, just, just chill out and you know, go to church like once a month. It'll be fine, right? And neither of these things reconciled with what I saw. Neither of these things reconciled what I heard and responded to. Neither of these things reconciled with what I saw when I saw Jesus' face. When I came to realize that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, came into history with a purpose. Human beings broke a world that God made good. And right there, right at the beginning, I know you're in Genesis right now, so you know this, right? Right at the beginning, God makes a promise that He's going to put what we broke back together. That is what Jesus is in the business of doing, putting things back the way they're supposed to be. And so Jesus comes, He lives. He dies. He raises from the dead to save sinners from death. And not just from sin and from death, but to this life and life in abundance. Which left me with this sense So if I can't earn the love of God, Jesus had to bleed on the cross to wash me clean from my sin. What do I do with the rest of my life? Because apathy and legalism don't seem to be what God has for me. So what do we do with our life if Jesus has done it all? Because this is the good news of the gospel. If you hear nothing else, if you hear nothing else, if you don't know him, we want you to know him so desperately. The good news of the gospel is that you can't earn his love. Jesus had to come down to get us, to set us free from our sin, and to give us life, and life in abundance. Zacchaeus, Luke 19. We're going to look at what Zacchaeus has for us here, or really what the Spirit has for us through Luke in the story of Zacchaeus. And and my hope and my prayer for us, and the thing I've been praying for you as I've been preparing this message, is that we don't miss what God has for us here. If you grew up in the church especially, you know two things about Zacchaeus. Maybe three. He's little. He's a big sinner. And maybe you know he's a tax collector. Those are all true. It's absolutely right there. My, my, thing, my thing that I, I just urge folks, I'm urging you, as you read your Bible, read it slowly and listen When you get to a story like Zacchaeus, don't read it fast because you have a song about a sycamore tree. There are amazing things here in this text that even as I was getting it ready, uh, I I just kept reading it. I kept being blown away by what Jesus, our King, does here. So look at it with me if you would. Uh, I saw that there's Bibles out on the table over there. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to use it a lot. So please get one of those. And And I say this without anyone telling me, so if this is wrong, Brian, I'm sorry. Um, if you don't own a Bible, we're begging you, please take it with you. Just read it. Even if you think I'm an idiot, read it. Okay? So Luke 19, starting in verse 1. He entered Jericho. Now you're thinking about some walls falling down, but the thing you need to know about Jericho that you would see in your Bible if you went to your atlas, where is Jericho? It's on the way to Jerusalem. Where is Jesus going? He's going to be installed as the king through the cross. That's what he's about to do. He's about to complete his messianic mission to redeem the world. Luke's giving us this little hint. Hey, Jericho, because it doesn't really matter for the story that it's Jericho. Who cares that Zacchaeus lives in Jericho? Luke's a really smart guy, a really detailed gospel, and he gives us these little reading cues, and we'll see a couple more that are really important. So he entered Jericho, and the he there is Jesus, by the way, and, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, he's inviting us to do something here. 
You say, well, what's he inviting us to do? Here's our, here's our problem, right? I get 10 verses with you for like 45 minutes. And you're like, oh, 45 minutes is a long time. Breakfast is afterwards. I hope not because I'm going to be here and I'll probably go longer. And that's life. I've got the microphone. Um, so, so he's giving us a cue. Now, if you're a first century person, you hear a tax collector. Now, it says chief tax collector for being really technical. So he's like the godfather, right? He's like the boss of tax collectors. But it says, and he was rich. Well, here's the thing you'd know about him. He's a tax collector. Of course he's rich. They rip people off for a living. But the other thing tax collector tells us, and, and, and we even see this as people get upset that Jesus is hanging out with them, big giant sinner, right? So it's not just, and, and this is usually what we think of it, tax collectors buy the right to take taxes from Rome. Rome in the first century uh, Israel and the, and the people, the, the armies have moved in, have hegemonic power uh, ever since Herod the Great who rebuilt the temple. Things have gone really poorly. The Romans are in charge. And what the tax collectors do is they take money from their neighbors and give it to fund the armies. They're not just ripping people off. They're funding an invading army, Right? If Kanda is in charge of Snohomish, and one of you have the job to take our money and give it to the Canadian Army, I love Canadians, by the way, it's just an example, right? Give it to the Canadian Army to, to kind of keep us down, not, not a guy you like, right? In addition to that, they skim off the top. That's how he gets rich. He takes extra off the top. So he's getting rich off our pain. That's Zacchaeus, right? That's what he does. Horrible. Horrible human being, right? You can say that. It's true. So why did Luke say because he, and he was rich? We, we already know that, right? We, we see that even as easy as you said. You could read down and you know that. Why? Okay. It's important as you read the Gospels. Do you understand? Even when you're like, but hey, I thought the, uh, in John's Gospel, Jesus cleanses the temple. And maybe you don't ever ask these questions. But these are the questions that plague me, right? Why did Jesus cleanse the temple at the beginning of John's Gospel, but then later in the other ones? Why did that happen? Well, it's like a newspaper article. In the first century, it's not weird for you to order a gospel account like these in the order that you were trying to tell the story. Like, just like you wouldn't say if someone who writes a newspaper article who doesn't, what we say, bury the lead, they, they, they start with the big news at the top and then they give you some details, you wouldn't say, oh, he's being dishonest, he didn't go in chronological order, right? Luke has intentionally ordered this thing. Well, well, why, why, would, why would we even waste our time talking about that, right? Go with me if you've got a Bible, and this is why paper Bibles, and if you're in the phone, it's okay. But this is why a paper Bible is amazing. Go like this. Leave your finger in the other spot if you need it, but it's actually one page. We'll be in, flip with me to Luke 18. And we're, start, and we're in 18 here. Luke 18, 18. Always easy to remember the ones that are two, right? So here's what it says. And you, you're probably familiar with this story too, hopefully, if you know your Bible. If not, uh, again, I, I might be speaking out of turn. If you don't know your Bible, I'm sure there are people in this church, Brian or Sam or whoever, who would love to meet with you and help you understand this thing. This is a church full of people. I've been here 15 minutes. I can tell this is a church that loves Jesus and wants you to know your Bible. There are people here who will help you, just so you know. I don't know how you get a hold of them, but we can figure that out later. Talk to me. Verse 18, and a ruler asked him, so that's another, that's another important guy, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? So he was rich. He's inviting us to go back and read this story and read Zacchaeus in light of this story. Okay, that's why we're here. Okay. Uh, 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 you know the commandments. This is Jesus, right? No one good is... Oh, sorry. 19. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Praise the Lord. 
You know the commandments, he says to him. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. He's done it his whole life, right? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Just one. One little more rule. Now, his question to Jesus is one of formula. How do I get to go to heaven and play golf forever? Have you heard this one? I hope it's waning. Right? Heaven is skiing forever. And you never get cold. Heaven is golf forever. That doesn't sound like heaven to me, by the way. Heaven is golf forever? That's your vision of eternity? What prayer do I have to say so I can go to heaven? I want you to go to heaven. Not because heaven is golf forever, but that's where God dwells. That's where Jesus is. And heaven and earth will someday meet and God will wipe every tear from the eyes and the dwelling place of God will be with man and Jesus will sit on the throne and we will worship Him forever. That's what I want. Golf, Jesus. Okay? But He's asking this formulaic golf kind of question. Right? What do I have to do to be good enough to go to heaven? Not what do I have to do to follow you or know God. He's got, a, he's got an aim in mind. Jesus says something amazing here. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Instead of on earth, right? That's sort of the, what, what's, what he's implying here. And come and follow me. You've done all the right things for all the wrong reasons. What you need is to follow me. You don't need good works. You need Jesus. Restoration Road. Yeah, do good works. That's not what gets you in with Jesus, right? If at the end of the day, our motivational structure is, I need to be kind to people because I'm a Christian. Christians are kind. I need to be kind. I need, I need to just lie because Christians don't lie. I'm not Christian. Zacchaeus has something way better for you than that, by the way. I promise. We'll get there, okay? But when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? This is a big question. He's not a rich tax collector. He's a pillar in the community. He's probably a businessman. He's a ruler. People look to him and they say, well, he's a good guy and he does everything right. Yeah, but he does everything right for the wrong reasons. He doesn't do them right to please God. He does them for himself because he's trying to get to heaven. Again, I want you to go to heaven, but more than I want you to go to heaven, I want you to live for Jesus. He's not living for God. He's living for himself. He's living for himself. And it's really, really scary when you look at this story because you would look at him and say, well, he's a good dude. Zacchaeus, everybody knows he's a creep. Those who heard this said, and who can be saved? But he said, here's a really, here's the good news for you. If you walk in here and you're a legalist or you, you are a good guy for the wrong reasons, a good gal for the wrong reasons, or honestly, if you walk in here and your life is a total mess. You're welcome here, by the way, if your life is a total mess. But he said, what is impossible with man, you know, the rich young ruler doing his steps to try and get in the good graces of God, what is impossible with man is possible with God. 
This church is a miracle. You are a miracle if you are a Christian. The fact that there are people who meet in a place like Washington, a place like Snohomish, and come together to proclaim the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a miracle. You are a walking, talking miracle. If you come in messed up and get cleaned up, you are a miracle. If you are born into a Christian family and do not remember the day you met Jesus, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, as a father of four, never use the words, I have a boring testimony. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Not a boring testimony. Nothing boring about it. There's nothing boring about your life if you lived a faithful walk with Jesus and loved Him your whole life. Not a boring testimony. Go back with me to Zacchaeus now with that framework, okay? Because it follows just after. I don't have time to read the whole book, right? So, so, so that happens Really, 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 really close to 19, okay? So you're supposed to think about the rich young ruler, and you see this guy, well, this guy's not a good guy. He's a creep. He's a chief tax collector. He's the godfather, right? He's a creep. You can say that. It's all right. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now listen. This is extremely underlined in my Bible. This blew my mind as I was looking at this passage. And this is why you have to read your Bible slow. And he was seeking to what? See who Jesus was. What was Zacchaeus interested in? Jesus. Why? He thinks he's Messiah. He thinks he's the king. He thinks he's God's anointed one. He thinks he's the Psalm 2 one. He thinks he's the Isaiah one who's going to come and wipe the tears from their eyes. He thinks he's the Redeemer who's going to wash away sin. And he's a sinner and he needs his sin washed away. And he knows it. And this is who he wants to see if Jesus is. He wants to know, is this the one? He's not coming to see, what do I have to do so I get a ticket into heaven? He's coming to see who Jesus is. Big difference. You might even be here because you want to know how to get to heaven. I'm here to tell you there's something way better than just getting to heaven. It's going to heaven to be with the one who rules heaven forever, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's way better all day long. So he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now listen, but on account of the crowd, uh, he could not because he was small in stature, immortalized forever in the Holy Word. He's tiny. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass by the way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked at him and said what? Zacchaeus. He's trying to figure out who Jesus is, and Jesus knows exactly who he is. You may come in here today to try and figure out who Jesus is. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you bring in here. He knows your life story. He knows all the things that nobody else knows. And he's here to save you. He's here to save you. He calls him by his name. Now, the author, Luke, doesn't give us that insight. Did the Holy Spirit give him this wisdom? Is he just sort of an infamous character? It doesn't matter. What he's trying to tell you is Jesus knows exactly who he is. 
He's Zacchaeus, the Godfather. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus came to get him. This is what Jesus does. We don't get up to God. Jesus comes down to get us. I suppose in Zacchaeus, he's up in a tree, so it's the reverse of that. But from a heavenly word orientation, I never thought about that, and it was not in my outline, but there it is. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw, when they saw it, when they saw this sinner talking to this guy who might just be the Messiah, they don't like it because that's not what Messiahs are supposed to do. They're not supposed to fraternize with the sinners or, or even those who are aligned with Rome like Zacchaeus is, right? You're, he's supposed to come and liberate Israel from Rome. Why is he talking to that traitor? Jerk, right? They're not right, by the way, of course. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Dot, 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 he must not be the Messiah. Sinner is a technical term. Like we use it kind of, you know, sinner, like for whatever. Like we just kind of throw it around now. Biblically speaking, it's a, it's a technical term for a really nasty, horrible human being. Right? So why would Messiah go to get, hang out and have falafel with this, that, this dude, Right? And Zacchaeus, now listen to Zacchaeus, you kind of have that moment uh, when my father-in-law got saved, he got saved out of just the biker scene, real serious biker scene. Uh, when he got saved, he was at an Easter service at a church in Bellingham, sitting in the audience, and he described it to me, that it was like everyone else just disappeared. It was an Easter service, so it's huge, right? It's a big church in Bellingham. And, and, the, and the whole auditorium in Bellingham High School, ironically, I also got a Bible at Bellingham High School, but hey... So the, the room clears, and he just felt like it was just him and the preacher, and the preacher was just talking to him about Jesus. I kind of imagine, and it's me imagining it, but I kind of imagine that's what's happening to Zacchaeus here. They're all saying rude things about him, probably loud enough that he can hear. But he doesn't care. Why? Jesus loves me. That's why. When I became a Christian, I lost most of my friends. People said rude things about me to my face. But not for one second did I think, I want to go back to this so they'll accept me again. Because I knew how loved and accepted I was and forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the jeers just kind of disappear. Right? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. He's calling him Lord. Rich young ruler calls him teacher. He's calling him Lord. Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. How much did Jesus ask for him to give to the poor? None. Thank you. Someone's here. None. He, he told the rich young ruler to do it because he knew the rich young ruler's allegiance was to his wealth. And the thing he needed to do was be aligned with Jesus in the kingdom of God. Sell that stuff and follow me. You don't have to, it, it doesn't say, hey, everybody sell all their stuff and follow Jesus. What I need you to do is follow Jesus. And, and that will cause sacrifice in our life. That will cause response. But it's also actually going to look differently because he's got that hairs on your head numbered, right? He's got a plan for you that's really hooking you into his redemptive plan of eternity. You're hooked into his big plan. It's not his little plan for you. It's his big plan for eternity. Way rather be in big plan for eternity, right? And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Chief tax collectors defrauded everybody in Jericho, right? He knows he's defrauded people or he wouldn't have said that out loud, right? He knows what he's done is wrong. And Jesus said to him, today, 
today. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day. Not you getting your life cleaned up and quitting your tax collector job. If you work for the IRS or whatever, we're not talking about you. Just for the record. For the record, this is a bad guy. We can feel this, right? Someday I'll be a grown-up Christian. Today you're loved by Jesus if you're a Christian. Today you're forgiven by the Lord. Sometimes we even have this sense that, that Jesus on the cross paid the price for all the sins I committed before him, and then it's my job to clean up the rest. It's my job to feel really sorry for the rest. I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Friends, I have really good news for you. Have you ever said that to yourself? Not your job. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one that forgives. If you feel like you can't forgive yourself, stop trying to play God. You are forgiven, it is finished, and you are washed by his blood. Today. Zacchaeus, today. If you're meeting Jesus today, welcome to the family. Today. Not tomorrow, not when you've said sorry to everybody. Two thieves dying across next to Jesus. One just mocks him the whole time. One of them starts mocking him if you read the, the account carefully. And then what does he say? He realizes, oh no, this is Messiah. Whatever hap is happening here in this moment, God is doing something as he's dying on the cross. And what does he say to Jesus? Remember me in your kingdom. He's a believer. How much forgiveness does he get to sort of, or, or pardon me, how many apologies does he get to issue from that cross? None. He just dies forever. But what does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise because you can't earn your salvation because that's what Jesus did on the cross. What does he say? Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, just like John tells us in one. He calls us into the family of God even though he's lived his life as a total creep. Since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus' favorite title for himself, the son of man. Listen. Listen. Came to seek He's coming to find you, not you coming to find him. Coming to seek and save the lost. Why is this good news? You can't get up to him. He comes down for you. He came to get you. So, the comparison here. Rich young ruler, Zacchaeus. Rich young ruler is looking for a program to be right. Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus. And what does he do? And why do I think he's here? Not because he's a big sinner. There's lots of big sinners in the Gospels. We don't really need him for the story in that sense. Okay, well, Luke's really careful. So you've got to ask these questions when you're reading your Bible. Well, there's already lots of tax collectors hanging out. I mean, Matthew wrote a gospel, was a tax collector, right? We've got some tax collectors on the team if we just need the guy for the video. So everyone says, yay, tax collectors get saved, right? I want more videos of the boring testimony, by the way. I love those too. I love them all. I love every testimony I've ever heard from any person ever. Because they're all miracles, right? But we don't need him. And, I, and, I, and I'm using that word carefully. Don't, don't read it wrong. We don't need him for the story, right? Okay, so he's a big sinner. Yeah, we got lots of big sinners. 
Okay, well, tax collectors, we got lots of tax collectors. We don't need him because he's short or he has a, you know, kind of an interesting name that can be spelled a variety of ways. We don't need him for any of these things. Well, why did Luke include him? I think he included him because of his response. All Jesus has to say is, come on down and I'm coming to your house. And he denounces his wealth and he rejects all these things and just gets after Jesus. His response is a passionate, Jesus-centered, God-focused life. And all Jesus said is, I'm coming to your house. This is amazing. And I think one of the things, the core of my journey, as I've discovered, you know, the big question for me is, well, so there's apathetic people and there's sort of like legalistic people. But if Jesus has done it all, what do I do with the rest of my life? We respond. We respond. What does it mean to worship Jesus with our whole life? To glorify God with our whole life? It means to respond to Him in all that we do. And I think this thing that we see Zacchaeus doing, he's our test case, we see kind of echoes of it throughout the whole of the Scriptures. And so we're just going to take a little walk through a couple of those texts and see the echo of what Zacchaeus is doing. Because I, I would argue that we see it in our salvation, we see it in our sanctification, and we see it in our glorification. Well, what does that mean? Sanctification is when you get saved. Pardon me, switch the words. Salvation is when you get saved. Right? Sanctification is our life between being saved and going home to be with him or when he returns. And glorification is our life in the new heavens and new earth with him forever. And, and, and our whole life in all of those things, I, I think there's echoes of it throughout the text, in our whole life is meant to be a response to him. It's not doing the spiritual push-ups that say, well, Jesus saved me, so i got to do nice things for him. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you can't earn his love, you can't earn his grace. He saved you, as we'll see in a second, even when you couldn't have saved yourself. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It's the 500th anniversary of the 95 thesis going on the cathedral in Wittenberg, so you have to go to Ephesians a lot. Because it turns out when Martin Luther read this in Greek, he stopped and said, whoa, hey, did you know the gospel is that Jesus saves sinners and there's nothing we can do to earn his love? He does it all. And I was like, stop it, Marty. Stop, stop. You're going you're gonna, to you're upset some people here. Praise the Lord for him for doing what he did. Okay? So we're in Ephesians, we're in chapter 2, and we're going to see how, how this response of ours, uh, we'll, we'll look at it three ways. Jesus saves us to response. All life is response to Jesus when we've been saved, and our whole existence is response. And I'll show you these echoes, okay? So from Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus versus the rich young ruler in a sense, right? And you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's bleak, right? What are you apart from Christ? Dead. You're aligned with the kingdom of darkness. You reject Jesus as we all did. Now here's what's amazing about that. That means that today you are a Christian. You are not a Christian because you're smart. Sorry. He didn't save you because you're good at ping pong, right? He didn't save you because he needed you because he's God. And in our world where we're just kind of busy affirming ourselves all the time and how awesome we are, we don't like that message. But the amazing thing about this message means that God loves you even though you're not very lovable. In fact, God loves you when you're dead. God loves you in your sin. He died for sinners while they were still enemies. 
And that's good news. As gospel people, that lights us up. Because then what do we realize? My life in Christ is not about how I behave, but how Jesus behaved to save me from myself. Now, there's a response, and we'll see that. right? This is not, well, if Jesus paid it all, then I'm just going to like make a long list of sins to sin. right? That, that's not it at all. That if, you, if you hear that Jesus saves you from yourself, and you start thinking about all the ways you can dishonor him, you did not hear the gospel. You're the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus just gets after it, right? So here we are. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, you and me, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the, the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience. That's Satan. Among whom we all once lived. If you don't know Jesus and you are here today, we're not here to tell you to be like us. We're here to tell you that Jesus saves and he'll make you like himself. That's not the message of the gospel. It's not start doing what we do so God will love you. It is God loves you, so start doing the things he wants you to do in response to him. Whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But... Greatest conjunction in the whole of the Bible. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You cannot save yourself. You need to be saved by the Lord. Again, this is good news. Every world system offers you a plan to save yourself. Islam, put your good works on one scale, bad works on another scale, and if they weigh themselves out, you get to go into paradise. In the Northwest, we love karma. And now, like I mentioned, hyper-spiritual Bellinghamite. I, I was a legit, like, Tibetan Buddhist, Buddhist, meditating Buddhist, Buddhist dude, right? What we do with Buddhism and karma in the Northwest generally isn't that, because most people say, oh, that sounds really boring, and like a lot of work, and all life is suffering, and jeez. Just give me the karma thing and the reincarnation thing, and I'm always a, I'm always a king or, or a soldier or something cool. I'm never a peasant like all of humanity pretty much has been forever, <laughs> right? And you always live somewhere cool like whales. No, you don't. Reincarnation is wrong, by the way, just for clarity's sake. Um, but what we have is this sense, if I do good things in the world, good things will happen to me. And we have this sense that this is really generous, and we put our tip jars, say, karma, I'm going to pay it forward, and I feel good about it, because I'm doing good in the world, and it's awesome, and I'm awesome, and everything's great. Here's the problem with karma. You know what it is? It's the most selfish system on the planet. There is no altruism with karma. If you are putting a tip in a tip jar so good things will happen to you, you're putting the money in your bank. You're putting the money in your bank. You're wanting good things to happen to you. You don't care about your barista if that's your motivation. You care about you. Every system other than the gospel is a system by which people do things to be right with God or the universe or whatever. The gospel is the message that Jesus saves. And in totality. but God being rich in mercy, right? It's outflow of mercy and his love. 
with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's true of you now. You have a place with God forever through Jesus now. You get to live the rest of your life that way if you're a Christian. Nothing can happen to you that will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, I, 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 I don't know the, the godly man who, who y'all lost, right? But all I've heard about him this morning is, A, he's a huge loss for you all, and that no one is confused at where he is right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I'm really sorry for you all. I really am. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He is looking to lavish his grace and mercy on you. So what do we do with all this? You think, what do I do then? And what's amazing about Paul, he doesn't just stop and start giving you homework. He actually keeps going. Verse 8 is the most important verse for gospel-centered folk in the universe. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. You didn't do anything to earn it. So that no one may boast, because you got nothing on the Lord. If you get to earn it, if you get to do good things so God will love you, what do you get to say to God? You owe me, man. God doesn't owe you nothing. At all. So what do we do with this? For we are his workmanship, or, or, or another way to translate this word is poetry. Where's poetry? Nobody does poetry anymore. But poetry is actually really nice, right? You're his poetry. Your life is a song that God is weaving for his glory every day. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. You have been created to respond, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus saves us. We receive the gospel. We respond by confessing with our lips and believing with our heart that Jesus is the Lord. This is our life in Christ. But we do this in response to his saving work in our life so that we respond by confessing and giving our whole lives to him. Right? So our salvation is a response. It's not us earning it, but it's, it's that he has saved us to this response in life. Not only that, all life is response to Jesus. We'll go through these kind of quickly. There's a lot here, but we'll go to Romans 12. We'll actually start in verse 33 of chapter 11. Now, Romans 11 is coming off of one of Paul's amazing uh, treatises about election and salvation and, and, and the people of Israel, all these things that God is doing in the world and us Gentiles getting saved and all these wonderful, amazing things. And he concludes his treatise, so to speak, in verse 33 when he says this, because what else do you say when you look at God in the face and you look at his glory and you look at his might and you look at his sovereignty and you look at his plans, what do we have left to do? That's why it's always good at church when, you, when the church comes together, when we sing afterwards. Because sometimes you get to a text like this, and you're like, I'm just going to sit down, and if somebody could get a banjo or something up here, I'm ready to sing, because I don't have anything left to say. That's what Paul's doing here. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how instructable his ways, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift to be repaid, that he uh, given a gift that he might be repaid. 
He doesn't need us to sing to Him in a minute. He invites us to it. And it glorifies and pleases Him. But He's not lacking in anything. Isn't that amazing? It's not a two-way deal. We sing because we love Him. And He loves that we sing to Him. But He doesn't need it. So we're just giving Him praise and glory. And listen to what Paul says here in verse, chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, therefore, because God in His glory and His wonder and His power and His awe and His beauty and His mercy and His holiness and His judgment and His justice and all these wonderful things, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're going to work tomorrow to worship Jesus. You're going to you're going to go to school tomorrow to worship Jesus. You're going to homeschool your kids tomorrow to worship Jesus. You're sending your kids, if they love Jesus, to go to school to worship Jesus. You're going to the PTA meeting to worship Jesus. You're having a play date to worship Jesus. Everything we do, including the coffee we drink with the taste buds He has given us, is a gift to you so that you can drink the coffee. Think about where it came from, how it's been roasted, and that you didn't make any of it happen. You didn't make the sun shine on those coffee beans. You don't even know how to roast coffee. You might because it's Snohomish, but you probably still don't. And you drink this with the taste buds and the mind the Lord has given to you, and you say, praise Jesus. And you sit in traffic a long way to work. And you have a radio and you can pick any song in the universe to put on the radio, which is really, really different to how people lived 100 years ago, by the way. <laughs> Honestly, it's way different than when I lived when I was like, when 95, we had a Walkman that didn't work and the batteries would slow down and your new order tape would just go slow. Right? Do you thank the Lord for that? He picked the time and place in the universe that you would live. And maybe your satellite doesn't work and you don't have the music, but guess what? You ain't walking to work and it's quiet in your car. And you can listen to the quiet of your car. Praise the Lord. Your whole life, you are built to respond to the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And all this is pleasing to Him. When your whole life and mind are focused on Him and all that we do, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed. Now listen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Stop responding to this world. Someone will always be richer, smarter, faster, stronger than you. And even if you're the strongest dude in the room, and we don't want to know, right? We're not going to arm wrestle in the parking lot or whatever. You ain't going to be strong forever. It won't last forever. If you're living for the things of this world, they will always come up empty. And if you don't, believe me, read Ecclesiastes, but that's a different sermon for a different day. When we live for Jesus and to know Him and to worship Him and to glorify Him in response to everything He's done for us, that's amazing. Go with me real, real quickly to Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 11. So Colossians, and, and this is what you need to know about Paul, when you only read it in sound bites, you, you miss. We love tweeting or whatever the heck people do. I'm an old man now. Uh, I'm told when you're an old man in Washington, you just like listen to the Pogues and Johnny Cash and you don't do anything else. I don't listen to the Pogues, but that's what I was told by an old punk rocker once, right? 
I'm trying to learn this tweeting business. I don't know, you know, whatever the kids are into. You feel out of touch, and that's okay. That's life. But one of the things we miss is that how often do you sit down and read a book of the Bible cover to cover? There's little ones. Colossians is little. Genesis is awesome. You can sit down and read it cover to cover. It doesn't actually take that long. You have a Bible on your phone, and I know it. <laughs> right? Nothing's stopping you but you. Nothing's stopping you from getting that dedicated time with the Lord, but, you know, the office or whatever. Right? But, but when you read Colossians cover to cover, what you realize is there's this awesome hymn that everybody loves to preach in the front. It's great. But Paul's actually set it up. It's a two-part book. Part one, this is who Jesus is. Part two, this is how we respond. Okay? And as you read Paul, you'll realize that's how he sets up every letter. That's Ephesians. That's Galatians. Except he's really cranky in Galatians. That's 1 Corinthians. That's 2 Corinthians. He, he gives us the truth of the theological depth and the doxological reality of the Messiah who's come to save and redeem. And he says, and this is how we live in worshipful response to him. So we're here in Colossians. We're in chapter 3, and he's just made the turn. Colossians is really, really, really a book in two parts. This is who Jesus is, and this is how he responds. So we're in chapter 3. We're starting in verse 1. If, and that's our big cue, right? If all that stuff I just said in the last two chapters is true, if then you have been raised with Christ. What? When was I raised with Christ? When he rose from the dead. Your participants in the reality that he's done there. So if you've been raised with Christ, right, this is why we baptize people. It's a great symbol of this. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. Right? Responding to Jesus by turning to him. Here's, here's our thing. I've been a pastor in the Northwest for, you know, going on the better part of a decade. Oftentimes, if not most times, I find people are more concerned, and you might have the same question, with the question of how far can I go before I've sinned? How nasty of music can I listen to? How horrible of a television show can I watch? How much can I imbibe uh, before I've sinned? This is the wrong question, right? We want to know the line. Is it PG-13? Is that the line? Is it PG? We want to know the line. How far can I go until I've crossed the line and sinned? Unfortunately, friends, the bad news is if you're actually asking that question, you're there. Because the question we're given is not how, how, how close can I fly to the sun before my wings melt? Our question is how close can I stay to Jesus with every breath of my life? Because He's my Redeemer and my Savior. How, how can I stay as close as possible to Jesus with every last beat of my heart and every last breath of my lungs? How can I stay close to Jesus? And I'm not saying that means we're not involved in culture or that you can't enjoy certain things to the glory of God. But we're asking the wrong set of questions. If our question is how close can I stay to Jesus, we'll know what to do with everything else. Honestly, you will. For you have died. Well, when did I die? With Jesus on the cross. Your old self died. You're you now. You're the new you. You might still like pizza, but you're a new you. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him to glory. So how do we respond? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The stuff of you. The old you. Kill it. Don't let it abide or figure out how close you can fly to it. Kill it. Kill what is earthly in you. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, because all of those things are allegiance to pretend gods that you make rather than Jesus. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. God is a good and just God. right? He's a good and just God. We want mercy when it's us. We want wrath when it's other people. Wrath is not a polite word. We don't like using it in Washington State and Snohomish probably. You might mind less in Snohomish than people do in Seattle. But wrath is not a polite word and you shouldn't use it. I don't believe in a wrathful God. You don't have to. right? It's voluntary. But here's the deal. You're driving on I-5. You're going down I-5. You've got your kids in the van. You've got that rocket box that you're worried is going to fall off. The dog is barking and needs to go potty. And your, your pedal is to the metal. And you just got to get to that rest area. And you know it's coming because you've driven up and, I, up and down I-5 so many times. If you could just get to this rest area, everything will be fine. And then there's a state patrolman. And you say a prayer. And you say, Dear Lord Jesus, I can't afford it on my insurance. You know that, Lord. Please show me mercy. Do not let me get a ticket. And then you stop and you pull off the rest area. Everybody gets out and everybody gets back in. You hand sanitize everybody and you get back in the car. You get back on the road and you're driving and somebody whizzes right by the van in the rocket box and you say to yourself, where's the cop when you need it? Because you want them to have wrath. People like wrath as long as it's not them who are getting wrath. Wrath is the business end of God's justice. We actually like justice. We don't want bad guys to get away with doing bad things. The good news of the Gospel is that God will vindicate the righteous and He will take care of the enemies of the world. And in His mercy and grace, will also forgive those enemies and not have them have the wrath because Jesus drank the wrath for them. So, but our whole life then is this response where we're taking off the old man and we're putting on the new. And we're doing this, right? We don't forgive people. Again, your motivation for forgiveness. You don't say, well, my neighbor's a jerk, but I really should forgive him because I'm a Christian. I'm the only Christian in a cul-de-sac and i got to forgive him because then I'll be the Christian on the block that doesn't forgive people and they'll know I'm a horrible Christian. Wrong. You might feel that. If you are having trouble forgiving someone in your life, you need to understand the depth and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and how much you've been forgiven. So our response is not, I need to forgive them because I'm a good Christian. My response is, I need to forgive them because I'm a horrible person that Jesus redeemed and made new. And I'm not a horrible person anymore. Right? You don't not lie to people because what Christians should do. You don't lie to people because Jesus is the truth. You don't steal from people because Christians don't steal. You don't steal from people because you've actually been given absolutely everything in the person of Jesus. Right? And so our whole life then is lived in this response. And not only that, we'll land on, we'll finish our walk on these echoes, but our whole life is a response. And there's so many places we could go, but we'll, we'll kind of cut into 1 Corinthians 13 and, and I'll just read it. Paul says this in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child and thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, I need you to hear this. Now we see in a mirror dimly. We see Jesus like that foggy mirror in the shower. Depending on how many kids you have, how often you can actually get a shower, or take a long enough shower to have it steam up, that's 
you know, whatever, right? Enjoy that luxury if you don't know what I'm talking about. But that's how we see Jesus now. Dimly. Like through a foggy mirror. Now here's what's amazing about that foggy mirror. He may feel far from you, but he's not. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. He's close. You might pray, you might feel like he doesn't hear you, but he does hear you because he's God. And it's not about how you feel about it. It's him being the God of the universe who hears your prayers. You might not feel forgiven, but you're forgiven. You might not feel that he's near, but he's near. And his nearness and grace and mercy to you is not based on whether you're seeing through that mirror clearly or not. Hang on to it and do not let that go. Because he's a truth teller. He's the truth. But what does he say for us? For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, looking forward to the new heavens and new earth, when he wipes the tears from all the eyes, in the dwelling place of God with man, Revelation 22. But then face to face. You and I are a vapor on planet earth, and we are going home to be with Jesus if you love him. And our whole existence is a response to His love and His grace and His mercy. We get a foretaste of that now. That's what the local church is, you and me, doing this right here. But there, you don't need me to stand here. We just have Him. Right, and I just sit down and sing with you all. Right? But that's coming. It's a guarantee if you're His. You're sealed with that, and you didn't earn it. It's a grace to you. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day. This is not a program about how you get your life cleaned up and follow Him. This is a program about how God comes and saves you and wherever you're at and cleans you up and changes you and remakes you and molds you by the power of His Spirit and the grace of His mercy and His love. If you know Him and your life is leaning more towards either that sort of legalism, you're doing stuff just because you're a Christian, that's your motivation, or it's leaning towards apathy. Well, you know, passion, that's for, that's for the band. Right? I'll sing in the car tomorrow. Why? Why do either of those? You've been given the greatest gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been saved from your sins and set alive in Him. Work tomorrow. Life tomorrow. This afternoon. All these things get to be lived in a grace-based response to His glory. And, and I'm not saying if you're there... Your life looks more like that, more free than in bondage. We all, we're all moving here in sanctification, right? Some days feel freer than others. So maybe that's just me. But if, if, if you're living in there, if you're, if you're moving in that more than the other, what are you doing to give of your life to help other people respond to Jesus? There are people in this church, and I know this just from life, who need help who need help responding to the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, need help knowing what it is to go to His Word and, and hear His voice and, and what it is even, I mean, when I was a brand new Christian, I didn't know what communion was. Do we stand up? Are we singing together? I don't know what we're doing here. Walk with those people. Right? How are you going to give up your, how are you going to respond to Jesus by giving up your life to help them follow Jesus? Please pray with me.